Connection. Welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, episode number 42. It is pay-per-view night, and I have a returning guest, but it's the first time I will have him solo, um, which is a bit of a controversy when he was on before, but I'm glad I'm finally able to get him in solo. It is um, one of the, the head honchos here at the North-South Connection. That would be Mr. JT Rosero. What's up, JT? Jake, I feel so good that you thought I was enough of a draw this time on my own without needing help from podcast veteran like logan croslin well well i had to um you know i didn't want to get on the bad side i I wanted to ask you since we're in the the midst of the the dual gms here do you think your management style here on the north south feed is more similar to a a stephanie mcmahon or an eric bischoff style of management uh i think i'm more stephanie okay i don't know if you disagree no, no, no. I was just wondering if maybe you send like, uh, you know, Slomka and um, and JP to, you know, Samoan drop people who, you know, piss you off or something. But uh, I know I'd, I would I agree. I handle business myself. Right. And I don't sell for anyone, so I'm definitely Stephanie. <laughs> Chad Marvin, Eric Bischoff, I would say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but show. anyway, we, we have a, a very big show, a uh, historic show. Um Survivor Series 2002, the build has been pretty well done, um, I would say, coming into this. Like, every match has a good bit of build. Um, Obviously, we have the huge chamber match. And as we'll get into, it's a pretty tight card. And I should mention that you were, um, just like the last time you were on the pod, this is a show that you were at live, correct? Yeah, I only do pods that I was attended shows in person. Uh, Yeah, this was, yeah, it was my first ever Survivor Series. My first ever show in Madison Square Garden. I just moved to Connecticut in September, so I was local. And it was kind of a weird stretch of my wrestling watching because, like, I lived alone for a month 
well, my wife is a uh, girlfriend at the time. I was looking for a job to move to Connecticut. So I actually lived in Stanford uh, on my own and I didn't have cable for a bit. So I was just like relying on tapes and shit for a while. And I was just, it was just weird because I didn't really know anyone. I just knew like one person that had gone to college with me who's a year ahead and kind of got word in to get me the job. But we didn't hang out like a ton. It was like, you know, every couple whatever once or a couple weeks or whatever so for those like three weeks or so i was pretty much just home alone every night like eating single 20 21 year old man meals and (laughs) just watching my old wrestling tapes and then finally got the cable hooked up and everything so i got pretty dialed into raw uh during this time period not as much smackdown just to like schedules and stuff because it was friday at this point right or is it thursday Uh, i think it's still thursday here yeah it was just, I think just scheduling-wise, was, like, tougher for whatever. I just remember not watching it as much. But Raw was was pretty appointment. And um, I'd say it was one of the periods my wife probably watched the most with me. Um, so, like, it was kind of like a Monday night thing. Like, we actually were watching during this time quite often. Uh, we, you know, we, we had a small one-bedroom apartment. Like, so we didn't have, like, a ton of space to go. So it was kind of like whatever was on the main TV was kind of where we both were at most of the times. Um, and obviously, you know, like, it was just different times. We didn't have cell phones to look at and have iPads to look at. You know, we had one big computer in the corner. So you're pretty much just watching. Mm-hmm. If you're watching TV, you're watching TV together, right? That, that, that day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pretty, pretty into the product, but I wasn't ordering the pay-per-views because I was fresh out of college, just started paying student loans, just got this job, which was paying fine, but not like great. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, we had an apartment living on our own. So we had like all expenses for the first time and everything. So like, I didn't have 30 bucks to chuck down on pay-per-views on my own own at this point so getting to go to when survivor series tickets went on sale and i'm like shit Madison Square garden we're local like i was pretty locked in i was like you know we should definitely go and so she came and then my buddy uh adam murray who does the nba team over on the pop feed and my friend jim drove in and met us and i don't i think mark claire came with us too because I, I just met him when i started there and uh so we went and we were sitting like way up near the top i remember but we had a pretty good seat like we were dead across from the entrance i remember um and in like the top row and we were actually right behind where they did uh like coach or whoever was up there like during heat Mm -hmm. so we were actually right behind them filming heat i can see the image of you guys behind coach like in the background like how there's always the guy screaming (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah we were like three rows like three rows away from that pretty much and the one thing that stands out to me was I remember there was like this girl behind us that had aspirations to be a pro wrestling commentator announcer. And she was like announcing every match <laughs> in her voice. Like, it was like one of the things that sticks out to me greatly from that show was like it was like annoying, but not like too annoying where it was like it didn't ruin the show. But it was like memorably annoying enough that I remember it 20 years later, like you know, calling the moves in this like exaggerated voice like to but, prove that she could be an announcer. It's interesting that you do that in the building. Like you think maybe, you know, I'll get the show after and practice at home, but right. like, I guess she would do the live. Uh, yeah. Experience. She was like, oh, here comes Jeff Hardy into the table. I was like, all right. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, I'd been to a decent amount of shows by that point, so it wasn't like a, a rookie. So I'd been around my share fair share fans, but uh, that was definitely one to remember. So, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it was cool going to the garden for the first time. And just the whole experience of it. And then, you know, seeing the Elimination Chamber, which we'll get to. And my friend Jim was like a diehard Shawn Michaels fan. 
like diehard diehard so this was like a big night for him to get to go to so there's a lot of cool stuff and uh definitely a like not one that always pops in my head when i think i like my live experiences especially since i've racked up a lot of the last like half a decade but right. when i think back on it and rewatch the show i'm like damn like that was a special one i don't think a ton of that i went to right it's a, it's a low-key one and, and we'll talk about it it kind of stuck out. i remember it being pretty good but we'll, we'll get through the, the card it's um yeah. i was kind of pleasantly surprised at this one but um we, we can hop in. There's no real news. Covered all the news in the last one for this week. So we can go straight into the show. So Survivor Series 02, live from MSG. Uh, we get a very lengthy recap um, to start mm-hmm. the show of the uh, big show Brock saga that's been going on. And then we get uh, Eric Bischoff in a very epic video package to hype up the uh, Elimination Chamber, um, which they really good packages they always do. There's a lot of good ones on this entire show, but uh, the opening one was real good. They're in a pretty good stretch of the video packages here. Um so I've been covering all that kind of stuff. But then we hit the pyro and we get the first look at the chamber, which um, I've talked about the build up to this. They really did a good job of kind of keeping it under wraps um, throughout the build to this, where they've given you enough to kind of be intrigued by it and really be interested to want to buy the show, but never really revealing like some good restraint by them. But I was going to ask you, you kind of alluded to it a second ago, but what was it like seeing it? for the first time, like, especially in person, because you had never seen it at all. And the first time you see it's in person. Yeah, it was impressive, like hanging there. It definitely looked massive. And there was a lot of excitement for it because it's not often you get to go to a show. And like, how many big gimmicks like that have really debuted over time? And, you know, how many people ever get to see that show debut, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not much. So I can say, like, yes, I saw, like, this is a pretty regularly used gimmick that I saw the first of. So it felt kind of cool to be there, like, historically. Like, it must have been, like, the first Hell in a Cell, something like that, right? To feel like, wow, these are the first ever match in this format. And who knew? Like, at that time, you didn't know if it was going to become a regular thing or not either. Like, it's just a one and done. Oh, we're going to see the only ever elimination chamber. Uh, I thought the video package was really good, too, like you mentioned. I liked Bischoff talking about how Dodie was evolving under him. Uh, I I don't think this was by design, but it was kind of a cool, low-key hint at 03 and what's to come on the Raw side with the evolution of the WWE. Uh, so I thought it was interesting wordplay. If, if they meant it, I don't know, but it kind of stuck out to me when he said it. Cause he's, he, he says it with some emphasis about the evolution of WWE. And he says it in regard to this new gimmick and things changing. And I do like too, how they didn't uh, reveal much because yes, there's a lot of intrigue. They give you enough to know it's going to be crazy. And you think back to that original hell in a cell and I felt the same way I did like in 97 where they kind of didn't show it. That's kind of explained it. And then you saw it that first time and it's like, whoa, like this is super impressive. So you kind of knew going in like, all right, this will probably be pretty cool. And you figure they'd try and make it like their version of a war games type thing. Because mm-hmm. for years, everyone kept clamoring for war games and WWF. And once they finally bought WCW, you figure, OK, they're probably going to do one especially when they bring Bischoff in, you think, okay, well, here we go. Survivor Series, perfect time to do a War Games. You know, Bischoff is the WCW GM, and they own the gimmick, they own the history, and then they kind of pivoted and do this. So you, you kind of figure it would be something similar when it comes to, like, cage and violence. Right, and I, in the build-up, they actually name-dropped War Games a few times, which sort of surprised me that they would even say that and mention it. Uh, it is seeing it, and I've seen it in person, too. I've actually gone to one of them because um, – it is crazy how how common it is now. Like, if you think back to this time when it seems so unique and now we've seen it so many times, 
that it's kind of we're just used to it. But I think it may be like one of the sturdiest wrestling structures ever, if that makes sense. Like if you yeah. think back to all the like rickety cages we've seen, like this thing looks like it's made out of like <laughs> like true steel. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so used to the like um, like especially like the old NWA like chain link fence cages and stuff. This thing looks like it is. There's I mean, no look give like other than the chains right. that kind of rattle. And the plexiglass that shatters. Uh, but the, the steel pieces are completely reinforced. Yeah, they don't move. Right. So it definitely looks cool to uh, to start the show. But we start off with our first match here, which has been playing out on Raw. We get the Dudleys, meaning Spike and um, Spike and Bubba, my favorite. And Jeff Hardy will be teaming up against 3-Minute Warning, Rosie and Jamal, and Rico um, in a uh, elimination um, table match. So... They do I, something I did like on this show is that even though they they obviously don't do the Survivor Series matches, they did between the Elimination Chamber and some of these other matches try to push the Elimination gimmick, right? These, like get that through on the show, which I appreciated. But um, we start off so like I said, this is Elimination style. Anytime someone gets pinned, they are out or go through a table, I guess I should say. But um, we get a great dive by Jeff right at the beginning. A lot of big uh, teamwork and big spots from the faces in the early going. But then the tables come out. And, of course, as you would maybe expect, Spike is the first victim as he gets pancaked by three-minute warning uh, through the table for our first elimination. And th- this is like the Spike role here. He's, he's always good for one insane bump mm-hmm. where he's going to destroy his body. And he paid it off here because that was a sick one. So Spike is the first one out. Um the cameraman ends up getting smashed by Rico. So that is a thing throughout this match. Like it is, you know, I enjoyed it, but it is definitely like sloppy at points. There's a lot of, it's real. Um, it's a real messy match, a fun one, but a messy one. Like the cameraman gets smacked by Rico. Um, it bogs down a little bit here, but it kind of picks back up when uh, Jeff goes for the swanton off the balcony. And like, like he does on about 50% of these, he slips. I feel like every other time he does this, he ends up slipping off of the uh, barricade. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, um, and we also get Jeff swantoning Rosie off the, um, off of the balcony. So that's kind of a famous Jeff Hardy spot. You know, he's going to jump off of something, especially MSG. So he kind of jumps off the little, um, the balcony thing by the entranceway. And so that eliminates Rosie. Uh, insane splash by Jamal and Jeff to the outside. So a lot of this is just big spot after big spot. Uh, so that eliminates Jeff. So it kind of leaves Bubba on his own. He manages to re- reverse and powerbomb Jamal, but he kind of, re- uh, Jamal refuses to leave and they kind of, um, beat up on Bubba. So Bubba's looking like he's in rough shape as the two on one is going to probably eliminate him. But in a huge, uh, a huge surprise, Devon in full Dudley gear cleans house and the crowd is completely losing it. They hit a three D on Rico through the table to, uh, to end the match and get the win. So like I said, not the smoothest match you're ever going to see by any means. Like um, there's the famous, I didn't mention, but the famous Rico spot where he's, um, calling for uh, Jeff Hardy to come hit a spot. So Rico is just stuck on the top, like pretending like he's teetering <laughs> because Jeff's supposed to shake the ropes and uh, make him fall. You hear him go like, God damn it, Jeff. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it gets a little chaotic, maybe in a sloppy way, but for what it was supposed to accomplish, it, it did its, it did its, uh, did its job. You had the big spots everywhere. You get the big moment with the Dudleys being reformed when they probably should have never been broken up in the first place. A uh, little herky-jerky, but it delivered. The crowd loved the moment, and all in all, I think it made for a good over, despite its um, maybe some of its um, weaknesses. So I went three stars on it, JT. I don't know what you thought. 
Yeah, but Dudley's got a big pop when they come out, and so does Hardy. And I think even though Three Minute Warning has like faded a little bit since their peak in the late summer into September, they still have a good presence out there. Like they come mm-hmm. off still as beasts, especially in this setting. Uh, the crowd, which I'm proud of, the crowd was super into everything. Like they're calling for tables. They're red hot here out of the gate. I love the look of MSG mm-hmm. for all these shows. Always looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Like it stands out right away here. Uh, the dive to the floor by Hardy out of the gate you mentioned was was really cool. He's got his highlighter pants on tonight with the, um, I guess that's like what I got like a bright yellow. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, highlighter yellow. It's interesting look for him. And they're like cargo pants, kind of right? Like they're not jeans. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an odd look. Uh, Jr. I, I, I'm surprised you didn't call this dig, Jake, because it's been our running joke. But he says Bubba is a little over three bills when, when it comes. Oh, out. I didn't catch it. It's <laughs> amazing. Not three quite bills. the cheesesteak line from Philly, but it's he, uh, it's up there. I didn't say the the pizzas. Uh, maybe he's hitting the uh, <laughs> in the New York pizza. Well, he came right out from Sabaro down under the train <laughs> train tracks. <laughs> Yeah, so we make sure he gets that in right out of the gate. Uh, three minute warning, like it felt like they were born for this, like just throw Spike and Jeffro recklessly and destroy them. Like this was this was why they were put on this earth. Uh, that bump through through the table for Spike was fucking gross. He takes it's a really rough one. I don't, I don't know how that guy's alive, honestly. What's up with the, right. the shit bumps he takes over the next couple of years? You'll see a couple of really big ones coming up in 03 too that he takes that are nuts. Uh, I love the callback Swanton uh, that Jeff does. It was the same spot and same bump as Rumble 2000 in the same uh, arena. So I thought that was really cool to take Rosie out. The crowd liked that one. And Jeff is just like flying around like a madman. He's diving through tables. People are screaming everywhere, smashing through everyone. Uh, the spot where Jamal hits the big splash off the top through Jeff on the table was insane too. It's like the fourth of the mm-hmm. spot of this match. So it's, it's not even those memorable because of everything else going on. But that was really nuts. Uh, Jeff is just crazy. He like takes that flush. Uh, and then Bubba power bombs Jamal through the table. And uh, then you get the double team. That is when Devon comes out to a huge pop. That's kind of the first big surprise of the night to feed the crowd into, into the finish. So I, I thought it was a hot opener. I had some big table spots. I had a good flow. Uh, it wasn't contrived. It wasn't slow. Just big bombs. And I thought the Devon moment was really cool. It was needed for both guys, mm-hmm. like you said, which I wanted to ask you about the build to this, actually. So I went three stars on the match as well as, as an opener, which I liked a lot. Did you... Like, did they hint at all that this potentially could be coming? Like, how long has it? I'm a little behind on the show. How long has it been since, like, Devon's even been on SmackDown? Like, has he been MIA? So, like, they definitely, not that I remember. I don't think they hint at it at all. I'm trying to think if maybe I heard Bubba say he had something in store, but I don't even know if they have that. But Devon, it's, I would say it's been a good month since he's done anything of like, he's kind of, he was the reverend. And then once Batista left, he was kind of floundering as almost like just a random guy. They would throw out matches, but I feel like it's been weeks since I've seen him do anything. So he's just kind of been MIA. I would say for on SmackDown for the, put it this way. I don't remember last time I saw him, if that says anything. So yeah, it was really kind of, I don't think they even hinted at it at all. Okay. Yeah. And I I feel like it was, like the bubble push was going to happen. What happened, right? Like it's clearly done at this point. He's not going to get yeah. over. They tried kind of to give him the push. They tried to buddy him up with Austin, then with Kane and Bradshaw and feud with Triple H. And like, they tried every possible slant to try and get this guy over as a solo act. And it just never clicked. And it's like, what else are you going to do? You're basically 
he's basically doing the Dudley Boys with Spike. So it's like, why mm-hmm. leave Devon right. floundering on SmackDown when you're doing the fucking thing anyway? So you might as well bring him over and just let them be the Dudleys, the three of them together. It's it's the best chance to be over in any regard. And you could always use tag teams, so especially on Raw. So why not do it? So yeah, I think it was a good move, and it, it gave a cool pop the way they did it. Right, and even if the Dudley boys might have been stale when they broke them up, the silver lining is that now you've let enough time pass to where the crowd is, especially after seeing them both kind of flounder a bit, like the crowd is ready to see them back together. So you have that. So I agree. And um, I'm with you on the three-minute warning thing because I've seen them on Raw. They've kind of floundered, I felt. Uh, Not floundered, but they've been a little lackluster when they have to be in a traditional sort of normal tag match. So it's nice to see them kind of have a good showing in a match that maybe is more suited to their strengths of just like insane spots destroying people. So I was with that too. But yeah, and I don't, um, I don't know if to go this mm-hmm. way, but like a Dudley's three bit warning feud seems kind of natural for me. Right. Uh, you put the tables on the mix, you can have them all around. So I, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I don't, I don't remember. Um, so we'll follow it overall on the show. But be curious if they play into that at all. Great, but good moment and a good match to start the show. Um, but after this, we will head to uh, Stacy, who is at WWE The World without Tess because he is traveling the world with his testicles. Mm-hmm. And we get a performance of By Saliva doing Always, which is the theme song for um, this show. And they do a, a good video package set to them playing live. They do a good job kind of editing them playing live and then, uh, you know, showing the different matches and even um, making the clips match the song. Like um, yeah. all the... Matches that deal with, like, I guess, relationships or, like, jealousy or whatever the hell. But I was thinking this, too, like, because we'll see um, them play the Jericho song later. But and then with the Batista song that comes around later, I was like, man, Saliva made some money off of WWE in their time. Like, <laughs> well, and it like, started the year earlier. Click, click, boom. <laughs> was right. the infamous No Mercy 01 theme. They had no Saliva. They had a good relationship because they did the songs on the, the uh, Forcible Entry album. And then, yeah, those carry on. Yeah, no, they, they had a good run. They were a good WWE band. There's a handful of WWE bands. Mm-hmm. They're one of them that did a good job. I actually like this. Um, you know, it was kind of weird, I guess, like sitting in the arena watching them play on the screen. But it was it was fine. Like, I think it was actually smart because if you think I, – I don't remember at this point. They were, like, charging. I think you talked about this on a previous episode. But, like, if they were charging to go to mm-hmm. watch these pay-per-views, so. they were probably doing a cover, I would think. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they did one for like Raw nights or SmackDown nights, but I think for pay-per-views they were probably charging a cover. So it's kind of cool though. You pay well, how much could you possibly pay? Twenty bucks at the most, probably not even that to go and you get to watch the show and you get like a little saliva concert right there while you're in their restaurant. So it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I thought the video package was good. I thought this was well done, and it was around this time they actually visited the world. I think it was in early. O- it was either the end of O2 or early O3. And actually have a picture of me holding up the testicle shirt because uh, they had it in the little <laughs> shop. It's like the unofficial, um, you know, <laughs> clubhouse of the testicles. That was a, that's where they all know. hang out. They, uh, it was cool in there, but it was it was weird. Like, we didn't eat. We just kind of walked through, checked out the shop. And then the uh, I think they just had, like, old, like, SmackDown or Raw playing on the TV. Right. We walked in there. I think it's smart, too, to do it there because you have to deal with the logistics of the band playing in the arena, too, which I think is good. Especially at MSG where you don't have the ramp, you know, like you don't have their normal staging where a band could play. So I think it was a smart move. It's funny because in my mind, they played in the arena until I rewatched (laughs) it. I'm like, oh, yeah, they were at the World. Because when I picture the show, I picture them being there for some reason. The second best uh, WWE band, of course, behind the number one Traps. (laughs) 
Well, so Trapped had the best song, uh, but Limp right. Biscuit is the official band of the WWE. That's WWE's favorite. I, I would say, would you think they're the most, like, if you had to rank, not to go too far off the tangent here, right. if you had to kind right. of rank the the bands, maybe this is top of the show, but uh, affiliated with WWE, like, is Limp Biscuit number one? Motorhead is Motorhead number one? They're not just like, forget like quality of band. I just mean from like, right, right, what right. band, when you would think of association with the company, it's got to be Limp Bizkit, right? I think Limp Bizkit. For the, they're associated with, like, what is most people consider, like, the top two manias, maybe, or in, at least in the top five. Let's not get into that. But, you know, you have that. And it just, like, I feel like the, the My Way video package maybe, like, could be their most famous, like, video package that the music they've ever done. I would say Limp Bizkit, probably. Limp Bizkit and then yeah, Motorhead. So saliva, we have to put in there based on you know, if nothing else, quantity. Saliva's yeah, no, they're definitely up push. there uh, because Motorhead's low key too. Like they performed at seventeen, mm-hmm. and what what other one did they do? It was like twenty seven or something. They were at. It was like a more so. recent one they did. Yes, yeah, one of those. So, uh, and obviously they don't know all the fucking Triple H songs. So, um, and then I, I think like he's not a band, but it's a musical act. I guess Snoop would be up there, right? Yeah, where where would you rank the uh, what's the guy uh, the Chris Warren band or whatever? Oh yeah, he's up there. He's gonna be top five, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Coming soon to Noho's Bar in twenty twenty two. The ranking of (laughs) (laughs) WWE's favorite bands. It's gonna be those five, right? I mean, that's I don't don't think anyone's jumping out that we missed that have like there's been one offs like CeeLo Green and shit, but I mean ones that have like an ongoing relationship that like associated with the promotion multiple times. I'd say it's gonna be. It's gonna be those five, but it said Limp Bizkit, Saliva, Snoop, Motorhead, and Chris Warren Band. Maybe honorable. See, but they never got to the pub. But ACDC could be like an honorable mention, even though they haven't played. Because you got '98, and then they've. I feel like they've thrown ACDC in a few things, but definitely, I don't think they would be top five. But well, they're like the same as Motorhead anyway. Right. <laughs> right. The. Uh, Fozzie's probably on the list too, actually. Yeah, you put Fozzie in there. It's a <laughs> lot of our um, beloved Butt Rock. There you go. There. It's like Butt Rock and Snoop. <laughs> That's it. Puff uh, Diddy. Right. All right, we will now go into our uh, SmackDown Cruiserweight title match. It's going to be Jamie Noble versus Billy Kidman. Um, they've kind of been uh, feuding somewhat off and on. It hasn't been the most focused feud. It's kind of been... You know, like, you know they're affiliated, but there's not really a big angle involved with it. But it's okay because these guys can both go in the ring, and that's all you really need. Uh, Kidman comes out hot. He tries to avoid being grounded, which is sort of noble style. His kind of heel style is to uh, kind of ground these high-flying guys and work them over. So he tries to avoid that, but uh, Noble kind of gets the upper hand anyway. Just tons of sick moves in this. Like, um, one that stood out to me is um, Noble hits that hanging DDT from the top rope, which was awesome. Kidman does mm-hmm. that little pop-up power bomb, just move after move. Kidman goes for the shooting star, but throughout this, like this is sort of the narrative of the match is that Kidman keeps going for the shooting star, and they kind of put over on commentary that that's gonna that's like the crux of the match. 
like Taz is putting over. You know, if Billy Kidman could hit the if Kidman can hit the shooting star, he wins. If Noble can avoid it, he's going to win. And Nidia is constantly derailing him every time he goes up top, but he's finally able to kind of get uh, kick Nidia down and hit the shooting star and win the match. So real fun sprint. I was a little sad to see Noble lose, but he's had a really good run, and it's not like he's going to be going anywhere. I did wish it had a little bit more juice with the feud for how good they are in ring, and because I think Noble is a good character, and I feel like he could sink his teeth into something that's has a little more substance as an angle, but they did build us. It. Not like these guys guys haven't interacted at all. Uh, so it is what it is. You can only expect so much with the cruiserweight division. So, um, but real fun cruiserweight sprint with uh, two guys that could really go. I went through it a quarter. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, on paper it was a great match for sure. Uh, like you said, it has some good build. Noble and Nidia, super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also is a big night because it's the debut of Kidman's theme song. Duh. <laughs> sounds like the same yeah thing. i thought that took your i heard it on this and i was like has he had that before because it's, it's sometimes when you watch it like smackdown or something they'd always crank the music like they would on a pay-per-view so i'm like has he had this i didn't notice but yeah it did sound different for sure i think they even say it i think they mentioned on commentary mm-hmm. um that it's his, his new theme but i i, I like that. it's one of my favorite themes it's a really good one during this era uh, very grounded a star. I love Noble's shit talking through the match. Like he does it a lot all through this, and he's just really good at it. He's the first one to go to the air. Uh, when Nidia helps Noble and Taz sings, "What's Love Got to Do with It?" It was good too. Um, Taz is so good. Like that's one thing you're mm-hmm. definitely in for a treat with Taz and Cole over the next couple of years as a team as they get even more comfortable. Uh, Kidman's comeback was longer than most comebacks, and I thought it was really crisp with a lot of good offense. And then, of course, you get the good near fall on the sit-out powerbomb. That top rope DDT was wild uh, and really mm-hmm. nasty looking. And I thought Noble looked great kicking out of that. Looked like a beast. And then the hangman DDT off the top, too, looked awesome, too. And then the finish with the shooting star, which always, you know, Kimmon always crushes that. So I, I thought this was super fun. It escalated to a wild series of big spots. And then Nidia backfiring on Noble. That'll lead to something, I'm sure. Kidman takes the gold, which was uh, built. I, I'm okay with it. Because even to your point, like, I think Noble could do stuff. But he also um, has the more ability to have a feud outside the title than, mm-hmm. than a guy like Kidman, I think, given the way they book the characters. So they can find stuff to do without him having to have the belt in the mix right now. So I think putting it on Kidman and letting him be like a workhorse champion is is a good move. Um, but this had all kinds of big time moves and uh, the big three spots at the end really brought it to a strong finale. So I thought this was crisp, it was clean, it was efficient and a really strong outing for both guys in the cruiser division. So I went three and a quarter as well. Yeah, Noble's so good. I think doing the pod, I've fallen in love with him more because mm-hmm. like, I think he's a guy that's always considered to be really good. But just seeing, like, I think when you watch the week-to-week TV doing this you like um you really notice like the workhorse guys and he's really a workhorse guy on smackdown they can just always try him out there for like a quick like seven minute match he's gonna be awesome like he has really fun character like especially given you know most cruiserweights are not really given the opportunity to build much of a character or a gimmick and he does but he's also kicks ass in the ring so it's anytime he's on my screen it's just it's awesome and he delivers here well, that's what makes him stand out as a work, not just a workhorse guy, but a workhorse guy with a character or an angle that you enjoy seeing, too. So it's it's a nice double shot. He's definitely kind of one of the low key like MVPs of SmackDown over the next year or so. Right. So good start to the show. We're like two mm-hmm. for two. 
Keep rolling. All right, we see Angle and Benoit backstage um, kind of bickering over who's going to be the captain of the team until Kurt finally stops them and kind of gets them to refocus and say they're a unit and that no one can beat them. Benoit goes to shake his hand, but Angle hops for a cheesy hug. I was kind of expecting Angle to give like a little insincere like wink at the camera, like he was going right. to double cross him or something, but he just did a full-on sincere hug, which I enjoyed. Um but I always like with them. I, I like the way they've done this angle with uh, Angle and Benoit, where it's it kind of subverts the normal tag team that doesn't get along because they do most of their fighting outside of the ring. But when they get in right. the ring, they mostly get along, which I think is a cool twist on that whole kind of trope. Well, it's because they're like super competitive as wrestlers, mm-hmm. and like they want to mm-hmm. win, and they know, but they grudgingly admit that they're both awesome, right? So, like they know as a team they're unbeatable. It's just outside. Yes, they have their differences uh but they're kind of a fun buddy cop team <laughs> here's what it feels like like kind of the serious guy and then the goofy partner but they're both like veterans so they both know in the ring they're the best chance to be a, a successful tag team which is cool all right all right we head to um our next match which is going to be victoria and trish we see some build for it backstage as victoria breaks the mirror uh, after it tells her that Trish is prettier, or at least she thinks it does, and they go straight into the video package, which is another really good one. I like the uh, knockoff psycho music that they use here. And uh, I, I do like this angle. They, for once, like pivoted to something a bit better in a women's uh, mm-hmm. a women's feud, where at first it was all about, well, Trish slept her way to the top. And I like that they've kind of pivoted from that to more that, uh, that Victoria is just jealous of her, that Right. Kind of going into their history against each other. And, um, like they were both fitness models and her thinking that Trish st- stole her spot. It kind of backed off on the whole um, sleeping her way to the top, which I thought was a good change. And um, it's been a good feud. And Victoria is a fucking beast. So. Yeah, they needed to get away from that. I mean, if you're going to build Trish as the uh, torchbearer of your women's division on the face side, like you can't run an angle where you're basically saying she you know doesn't deserve it right so i think mm-hmm. it was a smart pivot off of that they had the built-in story with the fitness bottle stuff and victoria just being crazy and jealous of everything trish because trish is more of the conventional you know model beauty looks right with the blonde hair and the, the big tits mm-hmm. and all that so it's like mm-hmm. she's definitely like the natural look of what a duty uh female star would look like at this point so victoria's jealousy over that uh, you know, just having a different look, not that she's not attractive in her own right, just not with the conventional look that they push. All right. So they're playing into that as opposed to Trish sucks and she just only here because she was, you know, sleeping with the upper brass. So I agree. It was a good switch. Um, I was sad, though, that they dubbed out Victoria's theme at this point, which already was, I believe, all the things she said by tattoo. I think she had that pretty quick, right? Right. I think so, too. It would have been. Yeah, it would have been nice. And it really would. It fits her character here, too. I think it's helped her, too, because she can kind of lean into this and it gives her something to work with. Like, she could just go full bore into it mm-hmm. with the craziness, which is good. But, yeah, I wish she would have the tattoo song. would have been nice. But um, this match, um, she's jacked. She doesn't have the theme song in this version. Watch. She looks like a beast. Like, she is... She is yoked, as the kids say. Uh, mm-hmm. JR says that it's been three years since we had a hardcore match for the women's title. So I thought that was a trick. I think he says it was, um, oh, I forget what, I want to say it was like Rumble 99 or something he said. I'm not sure. but Well, that would have been Luna and Sable, which sounds right. Gotcha. I, think, I think that would have been it. Right. So three years since we've had that. So we'll see if that this is going to compare to Luna and Sable. Um, I like the, um, the early spot where... Um, 
she where Victoria flips back in the choking Trish with the broom. Yeah, she's sitting there with the broom and flips. That was sick, like completely seamless. Uh, choking her in the corner. Really rough shots in this one. Like they were beating the piss out of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, even like basic stuff. Like Victoria hit a leg drop at one point. That the sound when it connected is like she just smashed Trish's face. Uh, I like that Trish throughout this shows she could be brutal too. Like um, they had the spot where she catapults Victoria into the trash can, which was brutal. Victoria's bleeding from the nose. Um, they kind of botched the bulldog spot in this one, but I think for this style of match that they were having, where it's just like nasty spot after nasty spot, and it kind of being more of a, um, you know, not a match that's really built on technical execution. It didn't really bother me too much in this match. Um, the the drop toe hold on the cane was fucking sick uh, in the fire extinguisher. And then the only thing I didn't like is um, the uh, the finish. I thought it was for everything they had done earlier in the match, with all the brutal shots to kind of just ended on what kind of looked like a basic suplex was a little bit underwhelming. I did like Victoria getting the win. I thought that was a good move to have Trish kind of more in the underdog role now, but it felt like a real, like a grudge match between these two. They were really laying in. It felt they were trying to prove something out there. Uh, I think with a few more minutes and a better finish, this could have really been like a forgotten gym because I was really digging it until kind of the finish maybe was a little lackluster, but everything they did before that was really awesome. I enjoyed it. I, I went three stars on it. I liked the brutality of it. It felt like a grudge match and it felt like a fight. And when you think about the baseline women's match before this, mm-hmm. that three is like a five. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. think of all the stuff you've watched and everything, and like just how progressive and different this was at a time where this this definitely stood out amongst everything else. Um, so yeah, the the broom choke was great in the corner. That kind of got it started. Uh, the big bumps with the trash can, the lid. It was a good weapon to use. Because it's they're basic weapons, but they're loud, they sound good, and they look good. And I'm sure they hurt, but they didn't over-engineer the weapon stuff. They used just simple stuff, the kendo stick, the trash can lid, the trash can. Like, we don't see this with women's matches enough, you know, a lot at this point. So just using simple weapons like that meant a lot because you don't usually get it. But they also weren't going to be, like, crazy contrived big weapon spots. It's just, just enough to say, oh, shit, like, <laughs> this is real. Uh, you know, these girls are really laying into each other. The bump where Trish slingshots Victoria into the trash can was awesome. Like, that sounded great. Uh, Victoria's nose starts bleeding. Trish is smashing her in the bloody nose with the lid. Trish kind of botches that bulldog, but they kind of move right through it, which is, I thought, mm-hmm. a positive trend as well. Sometimes in the women's matches during this period, you'll see you'll get a botch. And, like the infamous raw match, right? It completely throws them off, and they get yeah, lost. The Jackie um, Gator, yes. Yeah. You know, like, stuff like that, like, completely go off the rails. But here they are able to push through like it doesn't you know it didn't even happen they just keep going right through it just beating the shit out of each other the i think the finish was a anticlimactic with a snap suplex but i think it was more supposed to be that the fire extinguisher like right. rattled her enough that she didn't need to do much else right it's almost like sergeant slaughter or anyone right it's a scepter knocks out warrior and he just drops an elbow right it's, it's supposed to be it's kind of like just a way to take her back into the ring uh, but it's really the fire extinguisher completely fucked her up, and that was it. So I think maybe it's the way they – if they did the fire extinguisher in the ring, maybe it stands out more. Because I think the way they did it, it almost is like it's hard to see, and then she just suplexes her in the ring. But uh, it was a really fun weapons brawl. It elevates the women up a notch for sure. They're not just divas. It was well-earned, hard-hitting, and stiff and effective. Uh, it knock on the door, too, that they're they're here for real. And I think it's smart to ride with Victoria. So I went two and three-quarter to shy of the three, but – um, 
again, that that may as well be like over a four for what we've been mm-hmm. getting so far from a women's point of view. And, you know, just think of how far Trish has come, even since you started doing the show, like mm-hmm. how hard she's worked and how far she's elevated. And think, you know, it's the time she spent, I'm sure, with Molly that like helped a lot and uh, Jazz and others in O2, right, that really helped her come up and and uh, continue to work with those same women who are really good in the ring has helped get her to the spot. So now you can put her in with a bruiser like Victoria that can toss her around. And now it feels a lot more earned than unlikely because you actually felt in this match that Trish could win and it wouldn't have felt like, like why the fuck has Trish beat this woman? Right. Um, whereas like six months ago, it probably would have felt like, Oh, they're forcing Trish on us. Yeah. They, um, another good thing too, is that like you said, the crowd is so good on the show. The crowd kind of goes with them on this, which I think helps too. So you don't get a crowd that just kind of checks out because it's a women's match. Like they realize they're watching something good and they kind of get into it. So I think having a, um, a good crowd really helped it too. But yeah, I was, I, I wouldn't say I was surprised because I knew they could go. It was just more like, were they going to give them enough time? Or is it going to be presented in a way that's going to help them succeed? And it did to me, this is almost like now getting into what the Molly and Trish feud should have been, which is good. Right. Going with the theme of things, maybe changing for the better on this show, but was yeah. Finley already, was he there book, booking the women yet? I forget. I'm not sure. I haven't. So I read the, like the newsletter mm. stuff, but I haven't, I don't know if that's what something Dave would be locked in on, but I'm not sure. He's I feel like been, he came, I think he's he there came right for when sure they because he's, um, he shows up, um, in some of the backstage segments, like I've seen a few cameos with Finley, like when they have to break up a fight or something, you can see Finley in the back. Cause I want to say he's bald at this point. So he always stands out with his big bald head. Yeah. It says when, he, when W series purchased, he began working the company as a trainer for new wrestlers. So yeah, he, he was there already. He went, I thought he was there as part of the purchase. This um, seems like a Finley match, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I know he eventually like fully runs like the women's division basically, or helps train them. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say runs, but, you know, help, helps them train and, and lay out their matches. So I, I'm just I, I've got to think by this point he's probably doing it, given the all of a sudden sudden focus on a more realistic, hard hitting style. I bet he was already kind of in that spot. It makes sense. All right. We had to coach. He speaks with Eric Bischoff about the chain, the chamber and uh, Bischoff says the future of the industry until Big Show confronts him to again reiterate that Bischoff made a mistake by trading him. Which leads us into the uh, video package uh, to again recap the uh, the Brock Heyman stuff. I should say we um, we cut backstage where um, Brock asks Heyman if he's nervous, and he mm-hmm. continues with the same spiel that Heyman's been given throughout this entire feud that he doesn't know if he can beat a big guy like um, Big Show. He's been coughing up blood. Kind of this it's kind of Heyman's trademark is like once Heyman has this spiel that he feels like can sell a match, he just keeps repeating it, which it right. does kind of work, but it's just the same shit he's been saying all month before the pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's an interesting approach. Like, did you feel, um, well, I, I'll save my question for after. Go on. Right. So we'll get into the match. It's what's been building for the past month. Um, Big show versus Brock. I've made my feelings very known about the big show jeans. <laughs> um, but possibly could be the second worst fashion choice on the show. We'll get to later. Uh, but he looks I, tough, I, I night, say for, tough night for new champions. Right. <laughs> yeah. Big show. It is um, his black jeans, carpenter jeans, Brock's entrance though, in MSG for the first time, like just Brock in that, you know, the narrow MSG entrance way doing his like signature little bounce move was just, I thought that was a really cool moment to see him like 
I mean, he's arrived already, but it was just, I don't know. I thought he looked legit. And um, they've done a solid job of making this feel like a big match. They've had to, I've said it before, like microwave big show to reheat him. But I think they've done okay as at least uh, kind of heel if they want to turn Brock face. Um, we see Brock with the tape, uh, the arm tape and the rib tape. And um, the the thing that was, so we go into it and Brock is kind of comes in super hot. He's hitting all his signature moves. And so he immediately is proving Heyman wrong because Heyman the whole time is he can't suplex him. And the first thing he does is start suplexing show, which right. the issue here is that show is just not in, you know, maybe 1996. Paul White could have done this, but he is not in physical condition to be doing this. So when Brock does hit the, he hits kind of like a back suplex and stuff. Um, like you're not expecting show to elevate like Eddie or something, but you would maybe expect a bit more maybe when it is his prime, but he barely gets off the ground for these. It's still impressive because he's a huge guy. Brock's lifting him up, but it would have been a bit better if show could do a, a little bit more there. Um, but um, we quickly, the ref gets taken out. Brock ends up using the chair on Big Show and hits the F5. We get a new ref, but at this point, Heyman pulls the ref. So here, here's our turn that we probably all saw coming. So he pulls the ref. Uh, I thought the facials from both were really good in this, both Brock and Heyman. Like Heyman kind of has this moment where he's, it's like he's realized what he's actually done. Like he knew what he was right. going to do, but he's done it. Um, but and all the chaos, Brock ends, up, Brock ends up running to a chair. There's no ref. He ends up getting choke slammed on the chair, and that ends it. And Big Show becomes um, our our new champion. Like this match felt like it was 40 seconds long. I mean, it was yeah. pretty short. I knew it would, wasn't going to be super long, given you know what we have going here. But man, it really felt quick. I thought you got a good glimpse of what Brock could be as a face because I think in the time that Big Show was on top of this match, Brock looked awesome. Like he was selling great and also kind of working more of a, uh, a face style of offense, like kind of firing yeah. up against Big Show. He looked great. And the match itself almost felt a bit like perfunctory. Like I thought Brock was great and Show, I think, was decent, played his role, but it kind of just seemed like a means to an end. So I ended up going two and a half on it. It was. To me, this was all about them trying to find a way to get Brock face and kind of become the baby face trying to get his title back or whatever. So two and a half on the match. It was fine for what it was, but super quick. Show is not really good enough in the ring at this point to do much more than that. So I don't know. The whole thing was fine. We can talk about the booking, I guess, if you want to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big glow up for show. I mean, he went from jobber joke, double trouble shut a stick you know, a year ago. Uh, now he's like a rebuilt monster. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you thought they did a, a good enough job to at least get him to be a believable mm-hmm. challenger. Um, and it, I guess it felt like that way in the moment. Uh, it, along with the jeans, his hair and mustache is the choice, too. Got, <laughs> right. Kind of get the Fu Manchu and the, the uh... tight crop spiked hair. It's it's odd. It's an odd look uh, for a guy that's about to get the push he's going to get. Uh, Brock does look awesome. He's all jacked up. And it has been interesting stuff of Brock and Heyman with this mistrust and questions popping up. Uh, crowd is all into Brock here. The ribs are taped up. And then the finish, it was a big swerve. Like, so, um, yeah, we'll talk about the book one second. So, Brock chasing Paul out of the arena was good. And then show smashed him with a chair, choke slams him for the finish, which again, I thought was well done uh, after the swerve. And then, you know, Taz, the shit's all over Paul Heyman here. Like, basically, mm-hmm. like, this guy's a piece of shit. Like, we all have known it for years. He'll do whatever he wants to do to, you know, screw guys over and be successful. So, like, it's kind of a cool little 
ECW history insight from Taz on Heyman's thought process on this. Mm-hmm. The crowd is pretty into it. Not much of a match. Uh, it was disjointed. It was simple into the swerve. And I think one thing you have to get comfortable with is that this is the way to end Brock's reign, which started in such a historical manner, like defeated mm-hmm. the rock at SummerSlam to be the youngest world champion of all time. And then he's losing three months later at a big show. <laughs> like, like, because Heyman's like, it's a lot to digest, but it, I think it's okay because Heyman turns on him and show is believable enough that he could do this plus the injury. So I guess it's okay. But I just, if you would have said at SummerSlam coming out of that show, like, right. This title reign is going to end at Survivor Series with Big Show beating him. You would have been like, no fucking way, right? So it's it's interesting that this is the way they go. Now, I think part of it has to do with Brock's. I think he really was injured. The ribs, I don't know if Melzer's covered this at all in the last few, but I'm pretty sure this, this injury is legit, which is a partial piece of why they took the belt off him here. Um, I do think at some point the plan was to build to Mania with him as a face anyway to rebuild it. So I think he was destined to lose at some point. Uh, but I think losing in four minutes to Big Show had to do with the injury he had going on. The other rumor at the time was that this was going to be Hulk Hogan's rematch. Right. Uh, yeah. Hulk that's what I've back. had. Yeah. That's what he's been said. That's what Meltzer's pushed right. heavily in the observers is the whole Hogan deal. Right. Okay. So, yeah, he was supposed to be, you know, he thought this was going to be his rematch. And that's why he walks out and doesn't come back for a few more months. Right. Because he's pissed that he's not yeah. going to get shot at Brock. Uh, did he think he was going over Hogan? Probably, right? Yes, that was the issue. Yeah, he wanted his one back brother. And when they yeah. told him he wasn't, he uh, pieced out on him. That's going to be an extra kick in the dick, though, to have, like, Big Show beat him. <laughs> like, like it's not like Brock was going to retain. So you basically said, no, Hulk Hogan. Like, we're going to go Big Show instead. I mean, I know you have to do the Heyman turn with Hogan, but um, anyway, it's, uh, you know, I, it's fine. Like, if you want to turn Brock face, you're probably going to turn Heyman. We'll see where things go with that. But it's, you know, Heyman was a big part of the Brock package as to why he got to where he got this quickly. Uh, I don't blame them for turning him. You know, I know the fans were kind of ready for it. He's so awesome that it's going to be impossible to keep him healed much longer. So, Um, but I don't know. Like, did Big Show, well, let me ask you this. Was the swerve, has the swerve been obvious on TV? Like, or did you only know it's obvious because you've seen it before? I, it's hard to say because it's so hard when you know these things are so ingrained in your brain. But I will say it felt decently. Like, they've really been sowing the seeds of dissent through them. Like, I would say if you were watching the weekly TV and really paying attention, you would have sort of been surprised if Heyman didn't do something. Like, right. or, or maybe even if he didn't completely turn on him here, he would have cost him or something like that. Or, like, it would have, they would have continued to kind of fall out of favor with each other. So I think they built it well because it's been and it's been escalating weekly. Like I've been talking about, like each week they kind of push it more and more. They have where where Heyman wouldn't go out to the match with him because he tells Brock that, you know, if you want to do your own thing, you go do your own thing. And to me, that's what like it's definitely not ideal that it's big show. But I think they did a good enough job of making it about Heyman and Brock. They right. it's not like big show is just kind of the third wheel. He's just like a pawn in Heyman's game. I think the issue people have a lot with this is that, like, does it make sense that Heyman would, like, leave the Golden Goose kind of thing for Big Show and his fucking jeans? <laughs> like, right, his, right. You you know, know, it's like, kind of that classic, like, Mr. Fuji type of thing, right? Like, leaving demolition for the powers of pain. At least at least Heyman takes the belt with him. Um, I guess it's supposed to just be, like, an arrogance thing, right? Like, Heyman, it's Heyman saying, I made Brock. 
not Brock didn't make me, right? I'm the maker of stars. I could take Big Show. But we'll see, because it actually does go further than this, right? So mm-hmm. Big Show is even more of a pawn. But when you're Big Show, you're probably happy to be a pawn, given where you were a month and a half ago. So um, it's an interesting path that they go down, for sure. And the, the last little bit I'll mention, and I've talked about in the previous ones, is the other thing, In the, I think this was a Vince veto, because he didn't think it was, you know, he was on that level, was to have Heyman that Benoit be in the big show spot here and then kind of pair Heyman and Benoit as like a pairing, which would have been interesting for sure. Yeah. You could have gone that route. I, I, uh, I think, I think you almost needed a guy like big show mm-hmm. that no one was going to like, <laughs> like, like if you're really trying mm-hmm. to get Brock over as a face, like, I don't know if Benoit is the guy to do it again. So like, I think you really needed a dude that was going to piss off fans like that. Heyman was going to screw Brock over for a guy that the fans really wanted no part of. So I think that's the right. best way to go about making Brock a face. So I think that's why they chose him. And big show in his jeans and his mustache certainly was not going to get cheered. So they accomplished I that. Mean, looking back, like, I know it seems crazy to say like they could use Hogan, but I mean, Hogan is a going heel again. It's not like that crazy of a thought. Like he was, the shine was already fading a bit by the time he got, you know, he fought Brock anyway. Like, could you have had him to go heel again and become Hollywood with Heyman? Like, maybe. Maybe there's something there. That would be interesting. It'd been like the entire 2002 is just Hogan doing his entire, like, 20-year run in a right. year. Right. Like, doing the Hulkamanian and turning heel. And then by in the vote two, he's gone. That would have been interesting. Yeah. It's it's definitely a choice. It definitely just a lot of things going backstage that cause it. But um, yeah, I'll see how it goes. Um, I think you said it, but Heyman and Big Show kind of flee the building. Maybe it'll let us know that we're not going to see much else develop from that throughout the rest of the night. Right. Um, and already in the show, we only have two matches left. It's a very it's a very tight show in that regard. But um, we get another good video package running down our mm-hmm. next match, which is going to be the triple threat tag match. Um, really a lot of focus on the Benoit angle, kind of their rivalry slash partnership that they've been having going on. And we get a quick shot before the match of Dawn and uh, Al Wilson fondling in the crowd. So to make sure yes. we didn't forget about them during this. No, need the focus. Right. <laughs> And with that, we'll head to the match. So we're going to have the Guerreros versus the Champs, Edge and Ray versus Benoit and Angle. Um, so this match, um, so it's it's a lot. So it is elimination style. So if one person from the team gets um, gets pinned, the team gets eliminated. Mm-hmm. I thought this whole, you know, obviously these guys, I'm not going to go move for move. Just everything they do is really good. I thought, especially in the early going, it had a good kind of old school Survivor Series feel. Like in that it was just kind of them, different guys tagging in, hitting their spots. It was all seamless. Like just kind of reminded me of those really good kind of 80s multi-tag matches that you would see on the some of the original Survivor Series shows. Like coming in, hit your spots, good momentum, kind of amp up the spots when you need it. And just like good wrestling. Um, and then we kind of get into our sort of first elimination. So I, I enjoyed the spot where... Um, Great spot, like dodging the um, spear into the ankle lock by angle, and then um, in the cross face, and then Ray ends up coming safe. Just everything is seamless. Um, wild sequences of run-ins and cutoffs, and then finally Chavo sneaks in, hits the belt shot, throws it in Angle's hands, causing an argument between uh, Angle and Benoit just for a second, which is enough for um, them to cap for Edge to capitalize with a spear. Ended up pinning. Um, to eliminate Angle and Benoit from the match. But, but I like this as the first elimination because, like, 
it fits that it wasn't England Benoit like completely imploding. It just all it took was one minor miscue by them, like them not getting along for just a few seconds. And that's what caused them to lose. Like it wasn't like right. the, the tried and true, like they start fighting each other to the back or some shit. It was they just lost their they kept their eye off the ball for one second and it cost them, which I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go into uh, so we go into the second part of this. We have Angle and Benoit. They kind of clean house before they exit. And so that allows the Guerreros to kind of take advantage because Edge and Ray are now sort of playing the face in peril because they've been beaten by Angle and Benoit who are pissed off that they lost. Edge uh, is in the ring as a face and peril. He and Ray are both great in either role, which is why their team works so well. Like, it's usually Ray, but we have Edge here, which is really awesome when um, Ray is able to get the odd tag because he can come in and hit all of his sick offense. But he ends up going into the 619, but Chavo is able to nail a belt shot behind the ref's back to um, Ray. And then Eddie puts on the lasso from El Paso, which Ray is forced to tap, and our new champions are the Guerreros. So... Great storytelling in this match in that um, I didn't really mention what I was going over just now, but I love it. It matches everything that's been happening in the build is that a lot of the focus is on Benoit and Angle and Edge and Ray, like the rivalry between those teams. And throughout the past month or so, the Guerreros are always trying to kind of like like um, scheme behind each of their backs to kind of get them against each other. And it finally comes all to a head in this match because they kind of lay low throughout the entire match. Like they come in when they have to but they cheat with the belt when they have to, and they kind of let the other two teams do a lot of the work on each other and and then capitalize at the exact right time. And um, and it's just awesome, too, because in the build, they talked their way into this title shot. They weren't even really supposed to be in the match, but Eddie kind of sweet-talked Stephanie into letting them into the match. So just all that, I just like the, the Guerreros kind of, it just fit them so well, and it worked in the match, it worked in the storyline. And as far as the wrestling, I mean, these guys... I mean, we talked about No Mercy. It's on SmackDown just about every single week at this point. They can all just go so well. So great match. I like the storytelling. I like the Guerrero's win. I think Edge and Ray need to probably move on to something else at this point because they're more singles guys anyway. And Benoit Angle, you know, are probably going to feud with each other finally now. So, but great match. I went, you know, not quite on the same level as the No Mercy match, but few things are. I ended up going four and a quarter. Still a great match from you know, three awesome teams. Yeah, it's a big one too. And it, in a way it feels like the end of an era, like the SmackDown mm-hmm. six that have carried the show through the initial Heyman books, grand split, you know, end of free agency era, right. That kind of started a SummerSlam to here. Like these have been the six guys that have really been the true workhorses of the program, carry the tag division, uh, been all over the place, have a match with each other. And this kind of feels like the farewell, like you said, like, Edge and Ray are going to kind of go do their own thing. Benoit Angle are probably going to feud. The Guerreros will do their own thing as champions. Like, it kind of feels like the end of this little run that they've had that's dominated the fall of TV on SmackDown. And they're all stars at this point. And I, I thought early on the crowd is actually most into Edge and Ray. So, that obviously, their pushes worked as faces. Uh, we get the ang- Angle hook again, which was good. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of ugly tights tonight. We, we've talked about big shows, jeans. We've got a big one to come, yeah. but I think Ray gets a third place honorable mention here for these ugly Brown tiger stripes. He's got going on. It's <laughs> usually Ray's pretty good, but this one, this one was a rough looking. Um, not a fan. So, uh, near disaster. One point two, where Ray slips on a springboard and falls on his head. That, that could have been bad. A lot of Guerrero mind games. Taz and Cole really get over that strategy, how they kind of let the other teams do the dirty work while they're picking, you know, kind of pick the bones where they can. 
Angle and Ray's chemistry is so good. It's been one of the highlights of uh, since Ray's debut is just their matches together. So smooth and perfect. It's amazing how well they meshed right away. Mm-hmm. Constantly on display. Uh, you get the Guerreros kind of dodging tags again, doing the strategy throughout this. I love the series where Eddie tries to steal the pin on edge, but Benoit has the top rope headbutt to break it up, which uh, <laughs> it looked great. But when you think about the uh, strategy, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You think you think Edge uh, Benoit would rather just have, you know, Eddie right. eliminate Edge and Ray, but... Uh, questionable there. Uh, you get Chavo playing the Guerrero games, and of course that leads to the screw up and kind of a shock that Benoit and Angle are out. And honestly, the crowd was not happy at all with that. Like they they boo it, and it kind of felt you could tell this was a Heyman booking thing because this is like a classic kind of ECW like three way dance where the champion would be the first one out, so you're guaranteed new champions. So um, or actually, we're Edge and Ray or Angle and Benoit. Never mind, Edge and Ray are champions, right? Yes, Edge and Ray, but I, I guess more the favorites. You, yeah, it makes you think Edge and Ray are probably going to retain. Right. So yeah, maybe kind of setting it up for later, you know. Right. I, I'm, yeah, I guess more so that like Angle and Benoit feel like the heavy favorites going in mm-hmm. for sure. So them going out makes you like, oh shit. And the crowd definitely, I, I felt like the crowd checked out a bit here for the first time all night. Uh, it's pretty tight work still, but ever since Benoit and Angle go out the back end of this match, definitely feels a little bit quieter than most of the night's been. Uh, so Guerrero's end up pushing through and taking the title. So this was definitely excellent in line with, with most of the SmackDown six stuff, a little below some of the um, highest end stuff. Like you mentioned, like no mercy and some of the other things we've seen. Uh, I, I think they should have done first fall rules, honestly, instead of elimination. Uh, I know they kind of tried to do the survivor series trope, but I think the crowd dumping out off the Benoit angle got eliminated. If you, if you take that out and just leave Benoit angle in there, I think the match could have been so much hotter and you still could have done the finish like the same way. And maybe you end up not having to pin Ray or have Ray tap or whatever and just have do the same finish with Benoit angle losing the same way. And then the match ends right there. So even if the crowd is pissed, you're not then getting 10 minutes of a a quiet crowd as the Guerreros work through some mat work, you know, the match in a way almost felt like it was worked in reverse. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like the, the grinded out mat stuff happened at the end instead of like ramping up to a crescendo. So I think that'd be my only real issue with the match. Um, but I think it made sense to get the belt on the real true team. That's going to stay together. Uh, as is, I went four stars. I just think it was a little slightly oddly structured. And I think it, I think if you end it when Benoit angle, even if you don't do the extra 10 minutes, even if you just end it when they go out, you're still looking at a classic and it's a much tighter, hotter match. I just think that back end, after Benoit Angle out, really kind of kill the heat of it a little bit. Yeah, it does feel a bit like two matches kind of pieced together. Right. Which when you have these guys, it's still going to be really good. But yeah, I think it it would have maybe even made the Guerreros kind of stealing it may seem like even even bigger deal when they have to do it with everybody in there at the same time and like do some intricate bullshit where they're hitting the title shot and cutting off other people. And, you know, it would have been, I think it could have worked. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I just, I mean, it's like you didn't need to do elimination. And those are your two best, probably your two top guys of the six. I mean, as great as they all are, like those are, at this point, your two top guys of these six. Mm-hmm. And the crowd is clearly super into them. Like, I just, yeah, it just felt like a a rare bad call with the SmackDown six to, to pull them out of that match too quick. Yeah. But um, we'll see where they go. But yeah, it's, it, I agree with you too on the end of uh, kind of end of this little run, which I think is okay because they really have been hitting it hard. Like I think they're getting to that tipping point where if they just continue to trot them out every single week, it might kind of lose its luster. So right. I think it makes sense to move on to. 
Yeah, and it's you'll kind of always have those classic three months of stuff. Uh, you know, you covered a lot of good TV matches, stuff stuff that's been forgotten, plus some big pay-per-view matches like the the tag at No Mercy, um, Edge and Eddie had that great match. Ray and Angle have had great matches. So Angle and Benoit, Unforgiven. So there's been tons of good stuff out of these six guys. All right. All right, let's get to a moment that has not been forgotten. So Chris Nowinski, well, maybe this part did, but Chris Nowinski comes out for some cheap heat on the New York crowd. He uh, says street smarts are nothing, that Harvard smarts are much better, uh, says the Yankees bought their titles, New York is number one in stupidity, yada, yada, yada. And then out comes Matt Hardy, version 1.0. Our Matt facts tonight are that Matt keeps the room at 75 degrees, which is a bit (laughs) warm for me, Matt, and that he only drinks low-fat chocolate milk. he kind of agrees with Nowinski, uh, but he doesn't believe New Yorkers are stupid. He says they are losers. Uh, they don't have enough mattitude, and they are sucking the mattitude out of him, and they're choking worse than the Knicks, um, which JR gets a nice dig at the Knicks, saying he doubts that they choked as bad as the Knicks. <laughs> uh, so they get into this debate as to whether New Yorkers are stupid or losers, and they compromise that New Yorkers are lupid, a mix of stupid and losers. And a sure thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, they get cut off as a siren goes off. The crowd loses their minds, and we get the finally the debut of Big Papa Pump. He is juiced as ever, just completely jacked. Goes into there, wrecks both of them as the crowd is just going wild. I thought he looked good too. He's belly to belly suplexing him. Like um, he looked decently mobile, I guess. Um, and then he hits the his famous line that if Big Papa Pump is your hookup, you know the deal. So um, I thought it was really well executed, though, like building the cheap heat. Because at first the crowd was probably thinking, like, why are we killing time? Right. Like, it definitely feels – and we'll get into it. I think they are, even after this segment, like trying to kill a little bit of time. I don't know if the show was running a bit short before the chamber or they were just trying to, like, make sure everything was – I don't know. But um, you kind of think they're just killing time, and then all of a sudden here's Big Papa Pump, and the crowd just completely loses it. It's a really awesome moment. Um if you just, I know the, we'll see how this goes in the coming months, but in this moment, it is also the pop is like off the charts. Yeah. So a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> out comes Nowinski with his bullshit. Out comes Hardy. I was super into the V1 stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like one of my favorite all time gimmicks in wrestling at this time. Like I had the purple V1 shirt at my job during this time. I would actually send out emails with, uh, Justin facts, like Matt facts. It was like it, maybe a little later. This I had a new Scott, so it might be like a year later. But um, like Scott and Doctor G and a few other guys I worked with, I would send like Justin facts out. Uh, I was like, I loved the whole V1 thing. I thought it was a great. I loved the theme. I loved the fun facts, the Matt facts. Uh, I thought he was really funny with his vignettes, especially with some. You know, when he starts to build out his stable a bit. So I was super into that. So it's cool to see him here. Uh, this. The bit they do is real bad, like real bad. It's not funny at all. Like this stupid loser, loser, whatever the fuck they were saying. Um, But I feel like, I feel like they purposely made it shitty. Like they told them to go out and be super corny and bad to really make what happens next extra impactful. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I feel like they said, yeah, don't go out and be funny. Don't go out and be cool like go be as stupid as you possibly fucking fucking be so when you get your ass kicked it means even more and the crowd will be dying to see you get destroyed and i from what i remember and i don't know if this popped up in the Melser stuff at all like before this but 
I'm pretty sure it was known that Steiner may show up here because the crowd is already chanting for him before he even comes out. So I, I'm pretty sure it was re- announced, and I think WWE even announced it that earlier that day that, that Steiner had signed. Like I think it was on WWE.com that he had signed a deal. So I don't think it was like a surprise. Um, it like it wasn't guaranteed he'd be here. It was rumored. So I think when this was going on, it was obvious. I believe that Steiner may be the guy who shows up here for this. Yeah, like on, on TV, they haven't said like when he's going to show up, but they've been hinting like because the big thing is he's a free agent. Like what he's going to pick. So on the TV, they've kind of said he's um you know he's here, but we don't know which show he's going to be on. Right. Okay. So they, I they knew they announced. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he had signed. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, they didn't say uh, they didn't say you know he was going to show up here or anything. But yeah, so even if people did know it, it's like you said, it's so well done to have the like the crowd is just dying for somebody to pull the cane, like put the curtain on these dudes, and then tail comes Big Papa Pump to just wreck their shit. It's just oh, it's, it's perfectly it's executed. When those sirens hit, like shit is on. Like the crowd goes fucking nuts, and it's perfectly done. Like. He whacks them both, hits his one quick catchphrase, and gets out. Like, it's not dragged on. It's not over the top. And it's a megastar feel. Like, he feels like a fucking superstar when he comes out. And he's really one of the last guys that hadn't showed up yet. Like, we had already gotten the NWO. We had gotten Eric Bischoff. We got Ric Flair. We got Rey Mysterio. Like, it was really down to Steiner and Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah, like, the two left, right? So, here come, here he comes. And, like, he, he had not been WDF for so long. Like, eight years and not even a sniff otherwise and not in this gimmick. So it felt cool. And like, it's definitely for me, one of the loudest pops I've ever heard live. Like I was there for Foley won the belt, which I think is when Austin comes out, it's probably number one. It's like the loudest I've ever heard. Uh, Austin, when he comes out, I don't remember the raw before the invasion, when he comes out from the bar and cleans house on the Alliance, Mm -hmm. like that's up there. And I mean, this, I think Benoit WrestleMania 20 is up there when he when he wins the title, but I think this this I mean this may be like top two for me. I, I think with Foley that Foley moment, I think those are the top two like loudest I've ever heard a crowd. I guess the Hardys too at WrestleMania 33, but that was outside, so it's not as deafening, you know. Yeah, and it's just it's amazing that it's as loud as it is. It's like shockingly. Like the the response is insane. It's an awesome moment, and like and like you mentioned too, it's good that they didn't. He just goes and hits his one catchphrase, not like goes out there and cuts a five minute like big Papa Pump rambling. Right, he's not shitting on WCW or Bischoff. You know, he's like he's there to just destroy people. And when you see this, you would think like, oh shit, like game on. And it's (laughs) you'll track it, but it's like it's just sad where it goes. Um, because when you look at him he in this peaked moment, early. peaked early. Well, it reminds me of Taz, right? Like at Rumble 2000, when he comes out, and he's booked as this like fucking monster that gets a huge pop. It felt similar to that. It's like, oh shit, like look at this, and it's like it's just it's so perfect. It's like impossible to repeat. All right. After this, after that great moment, the chamber finally starts to lower. And as it's lowering, uh, ominously, we go backstage and we get the first glimpse as Shawn Michaels is getting interviewed by Terry. We get to see his horrible Bob haircut. He looks like um, mm-hmm. his haircut is like a Drew Barrymore in The Wedding Singer. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a it's like a 90s Bob 
Awful. Awful. <clears throat> I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know, but um, he is interrupted before he can really say anything with an RNN update. So the Randy News Network cuts in. The green curtain, whatever background he was in, was very jarring. It was like this <laughs> deep. I don't know what was going on there, but he uh, he says that um, he <laughs> luckily a sexy flight attendant gave him a pillow on his plane to prevent further shoulder damage, so he could adjust his shoulder in the plane. And um, you know his same thing about sending him email. So. Just giving us a quick Randy news uh, network update, which I always enjoy. And then we get a fantastic video package with the uh, theme to the show mm -hmm. um, set to various clips of all the guys involved, all the build to the Elimination Chamber, which has been really good. Um, uh, a lot of focus on the Triple H and Sean stuff, but I think all the other guys have gotten a good bit of shine, too. And it's it's been really well done. And then, like I said, it is it does feel a bit like. The old school, like they're putting the cage together, like stalling a little bit because then we go to Triple H who gives a promo, which I thought this was a really good Triple H promo, actually. He puts over the match. He's very serious. And then he talks about how he has to beat five guys who envy him, but he's still going to walk out the champ. So good, quick, uh, intense, not dragged out too long promo from Triple H. And then the, uh, the last thing we get is Eric Bischoff coming out to the actual chamber kind of showing us how um, sturdy it is. He has this weird little, like, nightstick thing, pipe that he's beating on it with. Yeah. Uh, and he, like, just walk around the chamber. He explains the rules, which you all know in this day and age what the rules are with the, um, you know, two guys starting four in the pods. And the, my first thought seeing this um, is the floor, which I know it's kind of infamous for that, but the floor just looks brutal. The, your first thought is, like, man, if somebody goes on that, gets slammed on that floor, that shit is going to hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like this whole demonstration by Bischoff. I think it was really good to demonstrate, like, this shit, like, this cage is real, the, the chain is real, and just go out there and put it over as, like, this thing is going to hurt. So I thought taking the metal pipe and banging it on everything, like, I thought it really was a good effect. And, again, I think, obviously, you're trying to kill some time while they prep everything. But I also think coming off of that long tag, they wanted to, like... Mm -hmm cool the crowd a bit before another like 40 minute match was incoming so i think it was like it was smart to do the steiner thing and then this like just kind of give the crowd a minute because it has been pretty non-stop show like like you said it's only six matches we haven't had any time wasting until the steiner thing like the crowd needs a minute to just take a piss or get a drink, what final drink whatever um so i think it was smart to like really take like this 20 minutes or so to almost do like a you know faux intermission Right, and, and they have presented the chamber that's going to be this big deal, almost like a rumble or something. So it kind of makes sense that you would present it that way. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like it, it screeched to a halt or anything. Like, it didn't kill the momentum of the show, but you could tell it was they were kind of dragging a bit. And the last thing I'll say before we get into the match, they've done a really good job of building. Like, uh, Triple H mentions in that promo, but just the idea and the story of this match, besides just the him and Sean thing, is that these are all guys that, you know, maybe besides Jericho that have some kind of gripe with Triple H. So he's going into this where yes. almost pretty much everyone in the match hates him and has a mark on his head. And they've actually done a really good job in the build of showing that, like establishing that he's enemies with all these guys. And it's like almost like paying off that, you know, he was given the title, but now it's finally caught up to him. Like he's made all these enemies, um, whether they envy him or not, whatever. He Now he has to go and deal with all these guys in one match, which I thought is a good way to kind of build, put us into the match. I think it's what's, what comes after has overshadowed that this could have actually been a pretty good angle if it just kind of doesn't get out of control again a year later. You know what I mean? Like him getting handed the belt 
at the time was like, well, what the fuck? Triple H using a stroke, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes over Kane. He goes over RVD. But to your point, it's like it was building to something, right? It was like he keeps screwing all these guys and beating these guys. But now they're all going to step in here and he has to go through all of them. And he's not going to escape this time. And if like this was kind of the end of his reign of terror and it, and then it becomes more of a open season kind of thing over the next few months, like I think it's remembered differently. I think sadly it gets conflated into like the year long reign of terror that's coming um, mm. because it just kind of restarts itself. It's like they redo the angle again instead of paying it off here and moving along. So I think that I think that ends up overshadowing what was originally a pretty good idea that they did over these you know few months in the fall. Yeah, it's really, I think the Elimination Chamber is kind of, it's been a breath of fresh air on the TV to get away from Triple H and some rival that he ends up beating. It's kind of changed the momentum, which is good. But, all right, so we start off and we find out that it's going to be Kane, Jericho, Booker, and HBK in the pods. And then to to match his Bob and the continuing trend uh, on the show of bad fashion choices, Sean has the the hideous brown tights. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, like, what really bothers me is he has such good ones throughout the years. Like, mm-hmm. he's ca- kind of a guy that has such great gear throughout his career. The, but for whatever, and he never reason, wears this again. So that should tell you he knew like, yeah, like that this was a bad look. Yeah, rough. But they're going to start in the pods, which leaves Triple H and RVD to start, which is a good one. So we are it's a good way to start and kind of get over the idea of all these guys having it out for Triple H. Because RVD, and, obviously... Mm-hmm. No, I, was, I never... Go ahead, finish your thought. Is that I wanted to say something else before the match? No, I was going to say, like, um, like, RVD obviously has a bone to pick with Triple H after their whole feud and kind of getting screwed over and all that. Yeah, and, and before you end the match, I just want to talk about the entrances quick so that we get us focused on the action. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> I thought all the entrances were really well done. I thought Jericho having the theme played by Saliva live in the world like felt like a big deal. Um, so it made him seem like a star when he could have easily felt like kind of the, the sixth man in, right, in this match. And everyone feels like they belong and, and benefit. Like, you know, we also have the epic, you know, Kane theme here. Uh, I think it's I think it's the best Kane theme outside of maybe, I guess, like, kind of the original original version of the original uh but like this one with the lyrics and all that who's that is a finger 11 i think right did it um yes right that's kind of the classic era of this this game theme so that looks great sean's entrance outside of the ship brown tights is like really good too like jr's fired up the crowd's fired up sean's fired up uh rvd's got a star feel like his theme's great and then you got the weird clean shave at Triple H, which always looks weird. But uh, I, I thought the entrances added a lot, too. Like, if everyone felt big and dramatic as they came out. So, to me, that, like, really set the stage. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed that, too. Like, that they all got... I didn't mind the long entrance. I know it's, like, sometimes people <laughs> run into it. But I thought for this situation, I thought it fit really well. Like you said, they didn't do, like, well, everybody else gets a quick entrance, but Triple H and Sean get the, the full you know, long entrance, like everybody did it. And it just added to all the, or I liked all the pomp and circumstance they put into this match with the lowering of the cage and everything. I think it fit well. Um, so, all right. So we, um, we start off with triple H and RVD. I thought commentary did a good job of explaining how triple H could be eliminated first, like, because he's in there first, like we could have RVD beat him before anybody else gets out. And then the whole rest of the match is just, you know, who's going to be champion, that he could be gone in the very beginning, just kind of getting over the rules mm-hmm. and the dynamics involved in this elimination chamber. But, and it also established that Triple H is behind the eight because RVD comes in hot on him, just hitting all this signature stuff, landing the monkey flip on the steel floor and busting him open within the first few minutes of the match. So already Triple H is um, 
you know, he's, uh, you know, he's at a disadvantage here. And you see that first monkey flip on the steel. And like I said earlier, you know, when somebody hits that, it's going to be brutal and it sounds brutal and it looks brutal. So, um, so after that, our first person uh, who's going to come out the pod is going to be Jericho, which of course cuts off RVD's uh, momentum here as he kind of um, occupies RVD while Triple H takes a breather, which I felt this was a, a bit weird and it goes on kind of throughout the match and, you know, it changes a bit later, but Triple H kind of forming a bit of an alliance with uh, Jericho or Jericho kind of helping him. I thought maybe Jericho helped him a bit too much. Like it felt a little odd at times how much he was helping Triple H. Like you said earlier in the, um, in the tag match, like it seems like you wouldn't want to cut off anybody from eliminating Triple H. It's only going right. to help you, but I guess it was just they, they needed some kind of, heel dynamic here to kind of give triple h a little bit to make it believable that he could survive this long so i guess it made sense but um i cringe every time somebody hits that steel floor every time somebody gets suplex on there it just looks brutal um great spot where we get the great uh famous spot where rob jumps on the um he uh jumps on the uh kind of does the spider-man onto the side of the cage which the athleticism involved in that and just the grip and everything is just insane um and then jumps back off of the splash is great but then he ends up getting double teamed until Booker T gets released and comes in and clears house. So now we have um, four guys in the match. And then we get the uh, another famous spot here, maybe the most famous of the match, where RVD does the frog splash off the top of the pod and just completely crushes Triple H's throat, um, putting him uh, kind of sending him reeling for quite a while. You can mm-hmm. see him really grab it. Like it looks like he's selling, but knowing what we know now, it was probably really legit. He's grabbing his throat and kind of writhing in pain. Uh, and so at this point, you know, this is probably the weakest point of the match. And it's not really anybody's fault in this, but you could tell, I thought that it got a little weird and disjointed for a second as they're kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. Now the triple H is who is kind of the focal point throughout this match. until Sean gets in now that they can't do anything to him. They're trying to figure out how to kill some time. And so Rob ends up getting eliminated by Booker with the scissors kick, which kind of seems a little bit out of nowhere, maybe a little anticlimactic, but, you know, I don't blame them. They're trying to, you know, kind of improvise there. Kane comes in, and at this point, Kane comes in at the right time because he kind of gets things back flowing because he's able to kind of take a go after Jericho for a while, throws Jericho through the pod, the sixth spot. And by this point, Triple H is able to, you know, to his credit, get himself together, knowing what he was going through. So definitely – um displays his toughness in this one that he was able to come back from that but so now booker t ends up eating a choke slam and a lion salt that gets him eliminated um i thought his run in this was a little disappointing because he's he's been given such good shine coming into it i felt like his time in the match and that could have been a product of not being able to really do much with triple h in the time he was in there so it could you know he didn't really get many memorable moments like like RVD was in there for a short time, but he at least had the, you know, the crazy Spider-Man thing and all that. Like I felt Booker's just felt like he was in there for a second and didn't do much. So I don't know, a bit disappointing. Jericho's bleeding now at this point. We kind of slow and they kind of go into a triple uh, threat kind of style until HBK comes in. And so as the final guy out of the pods and the crowd loses it for that, because, you know, that's really what this is leading to is HBK mm-hmm. and Triple H squaring off. Kane chokeslams everyone, but ends up eating a super kick and a pedigree to get eliminated, which given the hell in the cell that's going to come over a decade later with um, Triple H and Undertaker, I thought that was, um, you know, an interesting spot to see him lose to that. Um, 
And so that leaves Sean with Jericho and Triple H. He's getting beat to hell by both of them. Um, I thought it was a cool moment, too. This is the first ever Jericho HBK kind of squaring off in ring. It's cool given where they're going to go in the rest of their careers and the rivalry they're going to have. I thought it was a cool moment. A bloody Sean fights back. Really good face stuff by just a great face performance by Sean in this. Like um, when he's with Jericho and Triple H uh, until they finally implode, Jericho gets eliminated by a super kick while he has Triple H in the wall. So HBK kind of takes advantage of them kind of going against each other and leading where we all probably figured this match would. We end with our final two with Sean and Triple H. It's a lot of Sean getting his ass beat. Just a great kind of vintage Shawn Michaels babyface performance. Um, but he does. I like that throughout this, it kind of keeps you engaged because he's constantly getting the hope spots in. He's always really good at timing those and knows exactly when to hit them to get the crowd on his side. He, um, he gets catapulted through the pod. Great image of him after he goes through the pod, just laying there caked in blood. I thought it was good. He, he is able to recuperate. He hits the elbow off the pod and, um, I thought the moment here where he's he's tuning up the band and you could hear and JR even calls it that um, the arena like MSG is kind of tuned up the band with him. You could hear the crowd stomping with him was awesome, but it gets reversed into a pedigree. But because of Triple H is um, weak in state, he has to delay the pin. He is able to kick out, lands the sweet chin music. Uh, Sean does, comes back and hits it and wins the belt. And the crowd completely loses it. Crowds on their feet. They do the uh, a nice wide shot to show the crowd's reaction. The confetti's falling, and we get an awesome JR call as he asks everybody if they believe, kind of doing his JR losing his shit thing. And we end with Sean celebrating his comeback title win and fully showing us that he is back probably for good, that SummerSlam was not just kind of a one-off. So whew, quite a match. It is long. It's a good, like, mm-hmm. 30 to 40 minutes long. But... Um, great physicality, t- like really physical match. I like the whole story of putting Triple H against the odds. It's almost like I mentioned at the beginning, like as a punishment for kind of being gifted the belt. Tons of great spots from, you know, the RVD stuff to the, you know, Jericho going through the pod. Uh, it does kind of have that satisfying feel of a rumble I found, like where you're just waiting for the next guy to come in and what's going right. to happen and with the eliminations, it kind of keeps the match moving even though it is long and the finishing sequence um i thought picked up really nicely um the the weaknesses i would say like and again not their fault but the that kind of middle portion for a bit when triple h first gets injured you could felt i think things did bog down a little bit like when they were scrambling to figure out what to do like the middle of the match felt it a bit but i thought the beginning and the ending um were were really awesome. When you have the beginning when they're all going after him and then the finale with um with Sean was really good. But you know, I did feel maybe, you know, I'm I'm nitpicking a bit, but and again, this it's all it all goes back to that injury. You don't know what they were trying to do, maybe that got derailed a bit. But I felt like maybe I would have liked a little more from like Booker and Kane kind of going after Triple H since that was sort of the story, like all these people right. he has beef with, but I feel like you didn't get much from them. But overall, it's an awesome match. I thought it was booked really well. It's a great moment with Sean winning and kind of the perfect guy to give Triple H his comeuppance and kind of dethrone him on this title run. I went four and a quarter on it. Um, I kind of didn't remember how good this match was despite, you know, and the craziness is that it could have been even better if they didn't have to deal with the Triple H kind of calling on the fly there with him getting hurt. But I still thought it was awesome, and it's an awesome moment. 
Yeah, I think that definitely probably hampered. <laughs> good job. I think that probably hampered a lot of the Booker and um, Kane piece too, with not getting as much comeuppance because of uh, Triple H's injury. Like he had to lay low. I'm sure they had more planned with them beating on him throughout this. Uh, so I love the start with them showing off the chamber as a weapon, leveraging all the chains, leveraging the steel, doing a good job to get it over. Triple H bleeds right away to get it over as well. And in a different approach, RVD flies all over the structure, right? So they're kind of showcasing all the aspects of it. It's like you got guys trapped in these little chambers. The chains are real. The steel's real. One guy's bleeding. RVD's flying off things. So it's like showing right away everything you can use this for. The uh, when Jericho comes out, and I don't think they used it for all the guys. I, I don't, they played this weird like game show sound effect uh, <laughs> sure. that was really weird. Like then. I think later it was more they just said like the beep 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 for like who was coming out, but I don't know. I didn't notice it the other times. When it opens, it was like this weird. It was like almost the Price is Right fucking one or something <laughs> when he comes out. I thought the three way battle was good with those three guys until Booker comes in. He's hot. Really big pot for the Spinner Rooney. Um, the frog splash off the pot is really bad. Like I feel like RVD is a pro enough that he should have realized like this wasn't gonna work. Because. Mm-hmm. Once he's up there, you can see he's kind of crammed in. He's not going to be able to elevate. Triple H is really close. I I get he probably didn't want to climb down and look stupid. I think he could have like kind of barrel rolled off there and done like a done like his little senton instead of trying to frog splash him. I mean, it had to be obvious he wasn't going to be able to extend his legs enough given where they were at. Mm. And it was like real bad news for Triple H. I mean, his throat was fucked. I remember at the time, like the initial reports were like he may never wrestle again. Like that's how bad. The initial reports were that he was going to go to the hospital, that he may, you know, it was like life threatening. Like, that's how bad it was in the moment. I remember thinking like, oh, shit. Like, and imagine what a different wrestling world it would have been if like Triple H has to retire <laughs> here due to this like throat injury. Um, Aaron's like celebrating. His- <laughs> well, I'm not I'm trying not to say it, but I'm kind of hinting at it. Like at the time, <laughs> this it was almost like, oh, like, are we done with Triple H? Um, and it wasn't even, you know, he'd get worse. But it's extra bad news for RVD's push. Like, I think you could, I don't know if this was the direct reason, but you could definitely argue like he's really not the same for a while after this push wise. And I don't know how correlated it was to this fuck up and him almost killing triple H, but it's, uh, it's a bad spot, you know, for him to almost a injure this guy and B for his own well being as, as a wrestler at a push. Uh, so t- tough ending for RVD feels very bleak after that. I thought things dragged a bit until Kane came in. I thought he heated back up. Jericho gets the honor of being the first guy ever thrown through the plexiglass, and it is fucking nasty. Kane like just fucking flings him through it. Uh, the crowd was not super happy that Booker goes out, so you already kind of took out two big favorites in Booker at RVD. Um, and now it's pretty obvious it's going to be Triple H or Michaels winning at this point. Like It's probably not going to be Kane. If they were going to pull the trigger on Kane, they would have done it at No Mercy. And it's definitely not going to be Jericho. Like, he was all coming in as a long shot anyway. So, it's it's obvious now it's going to be Sean at Triple H. And Sean does get the big pop. Um, you know, it's kind of cool that he's right back to taking his, you know, his back and the shit kicked out of him by Kane. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a cool moment where Kane wipes everyone out with the choke slams. And then I love the way they make Kane uh, take all the finishers to get eliminated. I thought it made him look real strong. That it takes a sweet chin music, a pedigree, and a lion salt to get eliminated. So, I thought that was... Uh, really well done to protect Kane here. Sean's bleeding now as well. You get all the double team stuff. I thought it was a good near fall on the line salt. Uh, Sean, you know, won't say die. And he's taking the shots to the cut. 
blood is pouring out. I love seeing the plan explode with Triple H and Jericho. They finally blow up after working together all match. Um, a really good spot where Triple H barely survives the walls. And then Sean has sweet chin music and he's gone. So we're kind of where we meant to be with Sean and Triple H, uh, the two of them. It's a great battle in the seal, really making stuff count with the chain and the edges of this cage. Uh, just an awesome catapult through the glass where uh, Sean is just a bloody mess laying in the broken pieces of the plexiglass. And then you kind of get the final comeback into the finish. And there's some good teases, right? Because you don't really know. Like, Sean kind of already got the win on Triple H's SummerSlam. Triple H's history says that he could definitely win this match, without a doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Sean's been taking a big beating. And having Triple H survive and escape and then ha- setting up Steiner as his next challenger, like, isn't super far-fetched. So I don't think it's, like, super crazy that he could have won. So there's still good, you know, questioning right up until the final moments where Sean gets the big elbow and then survives the pedigree in his sweet chin music, just another monster pop, like the second of the night and third, even with Devon, like we've had three big pops on mm-hmm. the site. We started with one with Devon. We had one in the middle with Steiner and now we closed the night with Sean. So it's been a lot of big pops and just an awesome finish. And I think Triple H is, I, I, you know, he always gets credit for the torn quad. I think he deserves just as much credit for this. Like his throat got crushed by everybody's knee he regrouped and ended up putting out like a really classic finishing mm-hmm. sequence to put Sean over. So like, I think he deserves a ton of credit as much maligned as he is. He gets a ton of credit for finishing this match the way he did and coming in as strong as he did. Uh, it had a lot of star power, a lot of big spots, a lot of big blows. They got the cage over as a gimmick. Like this is a gimmick that can continue because of how good this was just like the first hell on a cell, right? The first hell on a cell match doesn't work does the gimmick mm-hmm. stick around? You can even argue, even though the ladder match had been around for years before, if the WrestleMania 10 ladder match isn't as great as it is, does that have the lasting power? If the first TLC match doesn't have, you know, as great as it is, does that have the lasting power? So, like, nailing a gimmick match out of the gate means a lot, and they did it here. Uh, the crowd was super engaged the entire time. It's a great payoff to Triple H's reign that Sean's the one that takes him down. All the big Raw players are involved. It's a classic stipulation. Sean gets his moment in the sun. A lot of blood and violence. Now, you said, too, like, Sean's probably back for good. I don't think it was even known yet. Like, I think it's not until mid-03 that it's like, okay, Sean's not going away. Like, I think it, it still could have felt like a little bit of a tribute run, get a little run with the belt, and then kind of take off right, in the sunset. Right. So I don't think it was super obvious yet that he was back for good. Um, but I went four and a half on this. Like, it definitely exceeded my my memory of it. As well, like I always remember the Triple H spot and Sean winning. I forget how much good work is in here and how much the build and the way that they told the story played into the match itself was really well done. Do you think it's okay that Sean's the guy or do you feel like it marginalizes like RVD and Booker and Kane in there? That Sean. I think with those guys, it would be hard to. Well, one would be like, which of them do you pick? Because they're kind of all pretty even keel like I, I don't think you could do booker because he hasn't really done you know he just kind of got in the mix and yeah. then with rvd and kane it would just feel weird because they already kind of got you know their shots and kind of fumbled it it would be weird to have them i think with the story they're telling you know and i know as time goes on people get sick of them but i think the story makes the most sense if you have sean and like his comeback in MFG, what happened at SummerSlam, that sort of thing. And to your point, I don't think I think Triple H, it, like it, I could have easily saw him winning and surviving, and then 
you know, if Sean was going to go away, he comes back, puts Triple H back over, and then rides off into the sunset or something. Like, if he wasn't going to, you know, go back into retirement or whatever. I don't know. I feel like Sean's the only one. Put it this way. If you're going to have one of the others, I think you need to do everything else a bit differently to make it make sense. I think the yeah, way they I, built I think it, Booker's it's got to be other Sean. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Booker's the only other one that it could have maybe been because he hadn't been beaten yet, right? So, like, like to your point, like if you were going to do Kane RVD, you would have done it already. So they're out. Jericho's not even close to being there at this point. Um, he's there to be the steady veteran <clears throat> that you know is a main event level guy, but he's unlikely to win. So I think it's got to be Booker or Sean uh, or Triple H, which I think in a vacuum you could say like, okay. Triple H escapes all these guys, and then you put over Steiner as the big next guy. Like, I think that could have been an option, too. <clears throat> right. I thought Booker being in this yes. was to, to kind of put Booker on this tier. And I think it was successful now. Like, in the build to this, like, he does some kind, kind of face-offs with Triple H, and he doesn't look out of place. So I felt like he wasn't definitely wasn't ready to win the title, but this established him as a player in this. Like now, if they do want to insert him in here, it would make sense. Like he seems like he's on this level, which right. I thought they succeeded. Do you at. think Triple like, H retaining and then losing to Steiner would have been a way to go? It could have been. I think so. I mean, it would. I think you missed the Sean moment. I think it works either way. I think he could have easily, and at least if he does win it, I don't think it's as like this is easily his best performance of the title reign. Right. Like he ended his reign with his best performance. Like I think because of all the shit he went through and like surviving, it comes more off as like, um, you know, as much as he's trying to do like the a flair cosplay or like a Harley cosplay. To me, this would have been his most successful flair cosplay to go in there and kind of survive all of this and then. Right. Go against, like, survive until he has Sean and then beat Sean. Like, I think that would have been, it wouldn't have been disappointing if he won. Like, it would have been still a satisfying finish, even though it's the heel winning. Well, I think in that moment, the crowd would have revolted. I think, I mean, I think, right, you right, right. needed to do it. <clears throat> you kind of would have pissed off the crowd quite a bit coming out. But it only works if you're going to have Steiner be the guy to just, like, maim him and win the title. Like, you needed to do that at some point. Um, but as is, like, in the moment, and they kind of just, I mean, it's brief anyways, you'll get to it. But, uh, it it's a great moment. Sean and MSG with the title, like, just because he didn't know if this was it. So, you know, giving him that one last run made a lot of sense. It was awesome. Like, I left too. I left buzzing after the show. I was like, this was an awesome show. Like, like Steiner's debut and Sean winning the bell, like, all of it, like, really was awesome. Right. It's not like you had a... You know, a nothing undercard and then ended with this awesome match. It's like the whole show has been kind of like building up to this one. It's, um, yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, probably a good time we can get into our overall thoughts because we're kind of getting yeah. to it anyway. Um, yeah, super consistent ring wise. You don't really have a bad match on this entire card. Even show Brock is fine, even if it's not well, great. And it was quick and it was a big okay. storyline. So, it's like, even though that was probably the worst match of the night it's it's only four minutes and it's got like a massive story attached to it right um big moments throughout like we talked about um you know i know the the brock stuff like show winning but i think if you are in tune with the build to it it's a little bit less disappointing than just you know thinking big show beats brock kind of thing um and to me this show just showed that even you know raw has been kind of sketchy on TV and has it been great? Like when it comes down to it, they have a big show and they really focus on it and put in, put focus on the build. Like they can really deliver with the amount of talent they have. They can deliver the goods because this show was, I mean, 
I don't know. I think I'm going to go 9 out of 10 because it's not perfect, but it's hard to really think of too much wrong with it. I mean, all the matches are good. Um, it flows well. It really doesn't drag at any points. Um, the matches are kind of all do a little bit different stuff. And, um, you know, the big selling point was the chamber and the chamber delivered. So it's hard. I don't know. So I can't think of too many things to, to knock it for. It was interesting, too. Like, we didn't even mention the commentary, which tells you it was a good night for them, right? Like, we didn't, mm-hmm. there was nothing we shit on or like, oh, God, they were terrible. Like, they were locked in, too, the whole night. Like, both teams are very, very good. I, I went eight and a half out of ten. And I was afraid I was going to be high. Um, it's a great show. I think it's a forgotten show, honestly, to time. Um, it almost feels like the – it feels like the grandchild of Survivor Series 96 or the lineage of that. It's like kind of a similar red-hot feel. Crowd was super into it in MSG. Kind of a classic Survivor Series. Um, it's one of the best for sure. It's It's – you know, I think there's a couple things just slightly off. Like, you know, we nitpicked the tag title end of that match. You know, I was a little bit lower on a couple of the other matches. Um, but all in, it's it's a great show. It really is. I mean, it's cut. I don't know what more really you could ask for, I guess. Uh, especially when you factor in all the big pops around the three big, you know, the Steiner, the Devon, and the Sean um, yeah, the, moments. The MSG, MSG kind of intangible, mm-hmm. all that. And I'm... Um, as we get into the awards, I would say, like, so best match of the chamber. And to me, I think that's what kind of put it. Like, I was with you. I was kind of surprised at the chamber. I, I Going into it, I thought it was going to be good. But I think a lot of what you maybe remember is the, like, the Triple H injury maybe completely derailing the match. And it does kind of hinder it a bit. But it definitely, rewatching it, doesn't, like, anchor it or anything. No, I think it's a great chamber. Um, I always remember one later is, like... I kind of divide the chamber to like two eras, right? It's kind of like the first four or five. And then in, once it becomes its own show and there's a million of them, like it's kind of its own thing again. Uh, but of like the original vintage, like I always remembered the one at uh, Revolution 05 being like mm-hmm. the best. But I think this is not now looking back. Like, I don't know. I'll be curious what that one checks in at. Like, I don't remember if that was like as good as this, but this was really, really good. Like I, I, I always remember it was good. I don't remember it being like this great. Like it really jumped out mm-hmm. at me. It's awesome. So, yeah. I mean, if Triple H right. get hurt, we may be looking at a five. Right, right. I agree. It was, yeah, it's really good. Um, best moment. I was kind of stuck between the Sean Wynn or the Steiner moment. Uh, it's hard to pick. I don't know. What do you have for that? I was almost I like Steiner. a tie between. I went yeah. Steiner. It's that's what you would think of first when you think of the show, honestly. At least I do. And I mean, being there, like the cider pop was definitely louder. And I think it almost like you could argue neither moment means much in the long term, um, mm-hmm. given where they both go. But the way Steiner falls, not to spoil it, your future show, the way he falls from grace, like <laughs> this is the absolute pe- like right. Sean has great moments to come, right? So like right. this is Steiner's one chance at like best moment, like. This was amazing. Um, the right. pop is incredible. It's like you just wouldn't have expected it, you know? I don't know. It's really cool. Right. The way he just crushes these two jamokes is amazing. Oh, it's just like everything about it. Um, LVP. I think I'm going to go with fashion choices as my LVP because most people kind of delivered in ring and everything. I think I'm going to go. Um, or maybe. <laughs> I guess you could give it to RVD for destroying Triple H's throat, maybe. But I think I'm going to go with fashion choice between Big Show, Sean's brown tights, 
Um, like you said, Rays weren't great. I'm going to go with um, fashion choices in my LVP. That's definitely one of them. Uh, I gave it to Nowinski. I thought he was extra lame <laughs> in that segment. Uh, but also Triple H's throat was an LVP. And I gave RBD an LVP. I mean, he, I feel bad because I actually had him right. originally as one of my standouts because I think he's really good in the early parts of that match getting over. Like, he's flying around. He's cruising through the opening portions. Like, he's really working his ass off to get over the stipulation. But he really almost derailed, like, their huge match. He almost, like, killed a guy. And his whole career, like, kind of stalls from here for a while. Again, I don't know if it's advertent or just a, a coincidence, like he was going to get deep pushed anyway, but it feels like a real bad night for him. Uh, it, start, it feels like a night that starts well, but really, it's like when you have like a great night, but then you get a DUI at the end of it or something like a car accident. <laughs> um, like it feels that way, right? It's like, man, I had the night like of my life. The title, and, I, and then you get that you have to give it up because you get it up at the end, right? For, because you got busted for drugs. Oh, wait, that happens so much. Oh, yeah, he's got a couple of those, huh? Uh, but this really felt like shit. He was like, have a good night, and then just ends it on like right. the worst possible note. It could have been so much worse, like you said. If it, like, imagine if in this huge match, like they have to pull Triple H out of there because he's going to like suffocate or something. Just Yeah, like, I mean, fuck, it looked <laughs> like he was. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe a lesser man goes out, you know? Yeah, um, MVP, it's, it was hard for me to pick anybody in that tag because it's so about all those guys working together. I think I'm going to go with Sean for the the Chamber, even though I think I was between Sean and Triple H because Triple H toughing it out after getting his throat smashed, maybe is it. But, you know, I think I actually will give it to Triple H because he was in there the whole time. He almost died and still he kind of played his part in that finishing sequence too, plus the rest of the match. You know what? There you go, Triple H. No, I mean, he was great. I gave it to Sean mm-hmm. because of the moment at the end. Um, and, right. the, you know, I thought he was great coming back in after the layoff, bleeding and selling and all that. But, I mean, you could really go co here and not go wrong. Like, Triple H worked his ass off in this match and um, and almost died and still didn't. You know, it, it, no one would have blamed him if he pulled himself out of there, right? And it was just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to die. I need to get the fuck out of this match now, out of this chick cage where no one can help me. Um and, you know, would, and no one would have ever looked differently on him and said, oh, this guy, like, you know, was a pussy or anything. So I, I think the fact that he stays in there and does all that and still puts on a great final stretch speaks to his, uh, you know, desire to be great in the ring. So. Right. OK, I'm going to let you list your top five because I really struggled with the top five just because I felt so like. Many. Yeah. yeah, like everybody I felt on this show, like played the role and delivered. So I'll let you do your top five. And I cheated a little bit. I went I went six, um, but you'll see in a second. So uh, we already talked about two of them. Like, Michaels and Steiner, to me, have to be on this top five. Like, no one stood out more than those two guys on this night. Like, Sean, you know, his big win, his big comeback, that's his moment. Steiner is what you think of when you think of this show. Uh, I gave Kidman one because I thought it was, like, a big breakthrough night for him. You got the music, wins the belt. I thought he was awesome in that match. I think you look at him coming out of the show as a potential like future star. Uh, then I went a little off the beaten path with Jericho because I thought he was like the real anchor of that match, especially when Triple H gets hurt. Mm-hmm. He's in there just about the whole time. He takes a ton of big bumps. He's kind of the North star of the match right up until the finish. And I do think he ends up carrying a lot of the load that Triple H would have carried as the only, he ends up being the only heel in the ring, like the whole time when Triple H gets hurt. So I thought he deserved some praise as like a real workhorse in there. 
uh, in that match and keeping keeping it together. And then I gave this last spot to both Victoria and Trish because I thought they stepped up and this was a chance not only for them to break out, but for the whole women's division to make a statement that like we're moving past the bra and panties diva stuff and we're going to be like a real part of the show. We can blood it up and, you know, blood and guts and weapon it up to like anyone else. So I tried to go with them to like because of the statement they made. And it tells you a load of the show was that I didn't even mention in this top six, Triple H, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, the Guerreros, Edge, Rey Mysterio, uh, Devon's return. Like, there was so much good in here. Nail right. Noble was awesome. You know, Brock was not even, like, sniffing the top 12 of this fucking show. That's how loaded it is. So, it's, I mean, a ton going on. Right. I'm going to co-sign yours because I really, it was, like, definitely the women deserve... Um, you know, some shine, all the guys in a tag match. It's just, it's just a consistent show where there's really not a lot of dogs. Like you said, Nowinski kind of, but he always sucks. And he, you know, he's only a brief moment. He's kind of just a pawn for Steiner to destroy. But yeah, yeah, everybody was just, it's just one of those shows where everybody just, the build's good. Everybody's clicking and everything pretty much works for the most part. It's, it's awesome. It's a, it's a great one. And it's, it's a good follow-up considering the last, um, you know, the, the O2 is a good run. Like, you got mm-hmm. SummerSlam, No Mercy, this. Like, man, they really know how to deliver. The TV Even can Vengeance be shaky sometimes. Yeah. yeah, like, the TV can be shaky sometimes, but when they want to put together a really good big show, they can really, they can pull it out. Well, it speaks to the level of just talent and star power they have. Like, yeah, they may struggle with the stories, but at the end of the day, like, they they are loaded, absolutely loaded with star power that they get us throughout six or seven matches filled with fucking top workers that are compelling. You know, it's, we'll see how that fades because some of these guys are not going to be around long-term, but for now, like the card is stacked. Yes. All right. Well, um, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm glad we were able to get you on solo. Would you like to tell us what we have here at the uh, North South feed? Uh, yeah, obviously we have lots of great stuff coming at you each and every day, uh, which I'm super proud of. You know, Jake, we talked. I know I put the jinx on you, missed one, but like you've you've pretty much gone without missing an episode outside of that one week when you had the hurricane, which I don't count. Um, from the start, like you've been crushing it. Uh, you know, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, you know, JT and Chad and Aaron kind of run the feed, but honestly, the feed runs on the lifeblood of everyone that pumps their time and effort and heart into it, all all of it. Whether it's you know Second Brick Comics, whether it's you. Uh, whether it's viewers choice of Marcus and Tim, uh, you know, this week in the NFL, like just everyone hits their mark and every show uh, is quality. Everyone who contributes is great. You know, Jenny's on a couple of shows, Sousa kid with the, you know, impact stuff. Like I just really am appreciative of all the time and effort everyone puts in. And I, you know, if you like the feed, share it with a friend, give us a rating, a review. Um, you know, we, we like doing it. We like people to hear it too. Right. So the more you can spread the word, the more we appreciate it. Uh, but it's a ton of great content. So if this is the first one you listen to subscribe, check out everything else we get to offer. A lot of it's evergreen. You don't need to have, uh, you know, be there, you know, outside of a couple of shows, you don't need to, um, catch them live, right? You can catch them a couple weeks later or whatever. They all hold up. Uh, the one that you need to catch live is, uh, you know what that means. That's our AEW pod with Duncan and Reese, which is great every other Friday. So just tons of good content. Again, I'm just super, super thankful and proud of everyone that turns it out. I also want to give a quick shout out. I mentioned Jenny. Uh, I did a recent episode of uh, Freak Out Driving uh, back in October when she was kind of doing her 
uh, Halloween month, which I, I really enjoyed. So check that out. It's uh, we did Scream. Uh, I'm sorry, we didn't do Scream. We just had a source Scream ad. We did a scary movie, which is a parody of Scream, uh, which is about <laughs> the scariest movie I would watch uh, to do that show. But uh, she has a lot of good content too. I've really been digging lately. I've been binging on. Uh, you don't. Uh, do, uh, you heard about Pluto, which is her live watch show looking at different random episodes of television from Pluto. Uh, which is an app with a bunch of random channels and she always has different guests so she just does a really good job with that i enjoy listening to those they're fun listens because you never know what you're going to catch like the episode with dawson's creek and reach was really good um so you can subscribe to the jetty position over there it's a lot of good stuff and then of course the rest of the quadrupods with the playstation pop and playstation wrestling feeds as well because i said it by myself um but anyway um i'll be back in a couple weeks um god willing and uh we'll get into the december 02 and Pretty soon I'll be in uh, 2003 and we'll see what it brings. But thanks for listening as always, and I will see you next time. Holla if you hear me. Shaking in my hands And all I hear is the sound